It is great to be with you. I'm so excited about this message today as we continue our series, The Table. And I'm excited because I get to share something with you that is very, very personal. And before I share this with you, I want you to understand my heart. Please know I'm not bragging. Okay, just as your pastor, I, I think it's important we, celebrate, we, we mourn with those who mourn, but we also celebrate with those who celebrate. And this past week, I hit a major milestone in my life. And again, I'm not bragging, but this week, at 48 years of age, I weighed more than I have ever weighed in my entire life. I stepped on the scale this week and I went... This thing's broken. Somebody, somebody did. Somebody must, have, must have dropped it wrong or the battery's dead. But there's, but at last, it's true. I weigh more. And the fact of the matter is, it's not all in my shoulders. I know, that's a shock. You're going back, probably, you know, no, it's not. And I would love to tell you that I weigh more than I have ever weighed in my life because of a medical condition. I've got a gland issue or doctors are trying to, you know, balance out my electrolytes. But I know what my problem is. My problem is not the absence of exercise. My, my problem is that there's one particular exercise that I'm not doing enough of. We started this series last week, The Table, and it actually serves really well in this particular instance. My problem is I'm not doing enough of this exercise where you push away from the table. I love food. I do. And that happens to be my problem physically. I know for a fact that it's only a matter of doing what I know I ought to do. But I feel like I'm in really good company because the Apostle Paul told us, the very thing I know I should do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. So I'm in good company, but you know what the fact of the matter is? Something's got to give. Something has to give because what is true of where I am today physically I believe with everything I have can also, if we're not very, very deliberate, if we're not incredibly disciplined, can also happen to us spiritually. Now, last week we started this series called The Table, which is a great, I think, metaphor for our life as the church, as Christ followers. And I have to tell you, the, the concept is not originally mine. The concept of the table is not originally mine. The sermon is mine, but the concept actually came from my good friend Ed Young at Fellowship Church. Ed had this idea years and years ago, and I just decided to take the concept and put it into our context with a message specifically for Lake Hills Church. Now, last week we talked about the fact that when we come together as the church, it's like a table, and we have different people sitting in different chairs. We talked about the fact that chair number one for Lake Hills Church, this is where our guest of honor sits. Our guest of honor in chair number one are those folks who are not yet Christians. And at the table, we serve, of course, the bread of life. Jesus said in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. So this is what we serve every time we gather together at the table as the church. But when we gather at the table, chair number one are those folks that we honor for a lot of different reasons. Number one, we think that people who sit in chair number one, people who are not yet Christ followers, are incredibly brilliant and brave. They're brave because they have crossed over some pretty significant hurdles a lot of times to even walk in the door. They, they come in knowing that they're not really yet a part of the family of faith and yet They've chosen to investigate the things of Christ. They've chosen to kick the tires spiritually to see what is this Jesus thing really and truly all about. So people who sit in chair number one, we the church, give it up for you because you are chosen to sit here in this chair. That's a, that's a big deal. It's also brave because a lot of times they're, they're clearing some emotional hurdles, maybe some some pain from their past, maybe some previous experiences that were not so positive. So we really and truly honor chair number one people. But if you'll remember, we also talked about chair number two people. People who sit in chair number two used to be in chair number one, but they have crossed over the line of faith in Christ, and they are brand new baby believers, new Christians. 
And man, around here, we celebrate the dog out of brand new believers, out of people who have taken that step of faith and said, I am all in with Christ. I'm in imperfectly, but I'm going to chase after Jesus with every single thing that I have. Chair number two is a monster, monster milestone in people's spiritual progression. But remember chair number three? We talked about chair number three is where, now a lot of people kind of got ahead of the curve and they already started writing things down in their outline and their notes. And they said, chair number three must be for the mature believers. Mature. Say mature. Mature. If you'll notice, mature rhymes with manure. Because (laughs) nobody can really say clearly, I'm mature as a believer. You can't say that. The Apostle Paul said, I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, yet I still press on. I'm still chasing after what God has for me. So it's not a mature, manure believer. It is a maturing believer. Those who are maturing in our faith. We're saying, man, there's so much more of God I don't know. You know, spiritual growth is a lot like academia. The more you learn the more you learn you have to learn. Does that make sense? The more you get to know God, the more you realize, man, there's so much more that I don't know. You never get to the bottom of God. If you've gotten to the bottom of God, you're at the bottom of something else. Because God is infinite. You and I on our best days are not infinite. It's been described before like trying to pour the ocean into a Coke bottle. You cannot contain all of God in our minds. But that doesn't mean that we check our brains at the door and just go, oh, well, I'm going to be a Jesus guy. We must, must ask the hard questions, continue to grow for the purposes of being the body of Christ. But now what is a body all about? I mean, yes, we are the church, the called out body of believers, but we're called out to do much more than just gather. I want to ask everybody right now, if you will, take out your phone. Take your phone out right now. I know some some of you are like, y'all used to get mad at us. No, we don't get mad anymore. We got glad. Get your phone and take out your program real quick. I'm going to ask you to take out your phone because I know a lot of us don't carry a Bible to church. And I think that's fine. But did you know that on your smartphone, you can download the entire Bible from Genesis to maps, different versions, different translations. They're all available. There's a great app called the U version, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N, U version of the Bible. It was developed, listen to this incredible app, the Word of God, developed in Oklahoma. What? I mean, I am shocked and chagrined, but it's true. A great church in Oklahoma, Life Church, pastored by Craig Groeschel. They developed the U version. It has been downloaded squillions and squillions of times. It's free. They did this for the good of the body of Christ at large. Matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, the guy who developed this, Bobby Greenwald, traveled to Rome and handed Pope Francis an iPhone 6 with the U version on it. I don't care who you are. That's pretty cool. So... You can download, you can put this on your phone and have it everywhere you go. When we teach and preach here from the stage, most of the time, we're using the New Living Translation. But we take the Bible seriously. The Bible's a big deal. Jesus said he is the bread of life, but the Bible also says in John chapter 1 about Jesus that the Word became flesh. So there's this eternal link between Jesus and and scripture. We take Jesus and scripture very, very seriously around here. It's a big dadgum deal. Tell your neighbor, it's a big dadgum deal. That was terrible. This is the 11 o'clock worship service, man. Y'all slept in. You had hours to be caffeinated before you walked in. Tell them again, it's a big dadgum deal. I know for some people it's like, oh, can we talk in church? It's okay. It's okay to have fun in church, but that's there. Now, I want you to take out your program because we're going to go to something real quickly here in just a few seconds. I want you to tear tear that off. It's already perforated for you. You don't have to fold it and tear it along a table edge. It's already perforated. 
Take it out, and, and obviously, of course, you're going to take copious notes today, but I also want you to keep close at hand the Connect card that is there in the program for you, the Connect card. Hebrews chapter 6 says this, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Let us become mature. You see, Christians have never arrived. We're never done. We, we never get there in this life. The Bible says that people who are Christians, people who have definitively stepped over the line of faith, are being perfected. We're not perfect by any stretch, but we are being perfected. This is the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is a great term for you to be aware of and to be praying toward. But it means that you're being made more like Jesus. You're more like him today than you were yesterday, this week than last week, this year than last year. It is a process that culminates in heaven. It's when we get to be with him that we are the most like him. But we begin that process in this lifetime. And so today what we want to talk about is not just who sits at the table, but how do we change chairs? How do we move from point chair number one to chair number two to chair number three? Now, in this world, we have grossly overcomplicated spiritual growth, discipleship, and sanctification. We have made it so complex when in reality, it's very, very simple. It's simple. That doesn't mean it's easy. As a matter of fact, it is incredibly difficult. I know what I need to do to get back into shape, to get back into my all-pro NBA body self. I need to eat clean, exercise, and get rest. Simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. The same thing is true spiritually. We need to eat clean, we need to ingest the right spiritual food so that we are fueled and metabolized to exercise our faith, to push back from the table and go out into the world and be the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus everywhere we go all week long. And we need rest. We need rest. This is why God has given us the Sabbath, the seventh day. God knows every single week we need a day of rest let me see a show of hands how many of you this week got too much rest let me just see a show of hands if you're just overly rested it's what i thought we are so overspent. we are so overtaxed physically spiritually emotionally relationally we need some rest if you read through the book of psalms there's a great phrase in the book of Psalms. It is the phrase silah. It's a Hebrew musical term, and it means a rest, where, where a song or a poem has a break. It, it has a resting point to let what has just gone before really sink in, really become a part of you. And we all need some silah in our week. We all need some, some rest to just kind of... Now I can go on. Now I can pick up and go again. But it's not complicated. Today I'm going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 30 is a fabulous, fabulous promise from God, but it's issued through his man Moses. You remember Moses was the guy who received the Ten Commandments from God directly. God said, I have spoken to prophets in mysteries and in puzzles, but Moses I spoke to face to face. Moses saw God. Nobody else has done that. Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery and captivity into a brand new movie that starts this month. Moses was the guy <laughs> who led Israel to the brink of the fulfillment of the promise God had made generations before, 500 years prior to Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Moses was the guy. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, Moses knows that his time is up. 
He knows that he's about to die. He knows that it's now time to pass the baton of leadership off to Joshua. But before he passes the baton, there is in Deuteronomy chapter 30 this valedictory address, this this final statement to the nation of Israel. And he makes such a profound statement there that is consistent with spiritual growth throughout the ages. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy 30, 11. Verse 11 says, This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, Who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. Obey it. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturing, discipleship, sanctification comes down to the doing. Yes, we have to know what the Word says, but we have to know what it says so that we can do what the Word says. I'll never forget when our daughter Emily was about 12 years old, 12, 13, I think. She went through this little phase that was very brief. Praise the Lord. She went through this phase where when Julie and I would correct her or or say, you know, Emily, that's not the right way to handle something. Or if we would get angry with her, we would say, Emily, that's not going to fly. This is what she would try. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I I don't understand. Man, we shut that down in a heartbeat. We nip that in the bud go, Emily, you're smart. It means, honey, you're wrong. (laughs) But I didn't understand before. And she tried that for like about two or three weeks. And we were like, no, that ain't going to fly. It ain't that difficult. It's not so deep and so profound. It's not reserved for a precious few. You don't look at, at God when he calls you to move from chair number two to chair number three and go, I'm so confused. I just, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. Just do the next right thing. It's pretty simple. Do the next right thing. I, here's something that I found also in my life. I like ethical dilemmas i like ethical dilemmas i like ethical dilemmas because that gives me some wiggle room i can kind of go well i wasn't really sure i don't know but i've noticed in my own life the closer i become to god the more connected i am to him spiritually the fewer ethical dilemmas i have in my life god never has an ethical dilemma god never sits on his throne in heaven and goes hmm I'm not sure what I should do. If I do A, then this. If I do B, then that. I'm not sure. God knows. God is holy. He is perfect. We're not. But the closer we become to him, the fewer moral and ethical dilemmas we will really have in our lives. The clearer our path becomes because his word is a light unto our path. We know many times what we ought to do But many times we don't want to do it. A lot of times we know what we shouldn't do, but we want to do it. Am I the only, can we just keep it real? Sometimes for a period of time, sin is fun. Am I right or am I right? Sometimes it's fun. It's fun for a season. But the problem is it always takes us away from God. It always takes us away from the one who is the only source of unconditional love. The only one who is the source of the peace that passes all understanding, of joy that transcends circumstances. So what do we do? James is a great place to begin. If you're thinking about getting into the Bible, if you're thinking about beginning to ingest the Word of God and make it a part of your life, James is a great place to begin because it is so painfully practical. So practical. Look at what the Bible says in James 1, 22. 
It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. If we don't do what the word says, we're kidding ourselves. What do you think is the number one critique of the church, capital C? The number one critique, if you ask somebody to go to church and they say, nah, I don't want to, they'll say what? Too many hypocrites. There's hypocrites in the church. Let me tell you just quickly how to answer that. That's okay. We got room for one more. Come on. <laughs> we're all hypocrites, not because we're trying to be, but because God is perfect and we're not. Hopefully I'm less hypocritical today than I was last year. But do what the Word says. When we're talking about a functional faith, it's not an ethereal out in the clouds. It's real, day in, day out, where we live. And so very quickly, I want to give you five functional facets of faith. Five features of a functional faith. This is where it starts. Number one is with your faith. Having stepped over the line of trust, committed your life to Christ, saying, Jesus, I need you. I need forgiveness for my sins, and so I give you my life in exchange for yours. So that is where it begins. Now, around here, we talk about five kind of wheels and a spoke of a full circle faith. A full circle faith. And we're going to kind of camp out here. We're not going to spend quite as long on the next few, but real quickly, where we talk about faith, we're talking about, number one, attendance at the table. Coming to church and making it a priority. Now, I understand, I know, coming to church does not make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Any more than being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I know, I know all the cliches. But gathering at the table is a big deal. It's a priority for a fully functioning Christian. We need that. We need that time. I, I've shared this with our church before, but it, it's so perfect right here. I'm going to tell you again. I'll never forget when I learned this lesson. I was in high school. I was getting ready to go to my first formal dance. We were going out. We had a Saturday night formal. I rented the tuxedo, went down to Al's. Got the ruffled shirt like Doc and everybody on Love Boat. And we were getting ready to go. And because it was a formal, we had a little bit later curfew. And I was going to be out later on a Saturday night. And I'll never forget, I told my mom just a couple of days before the formal, I go, Mom, you know, I'm not going to be at church Sunday. So where do you want to meet for lunch? <laughs> my mom, bless her. Mom, if you've met my mom, she's here pretty frequently. She's, she's not a big girl. She doesn't live in Austin, but when they're in town, they come here. She, she pulled her glasses down her nose, and she said, oh, really? I said, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we got the formal. I'm going to be out late. I'm going to have to sleep in. You know, so I'm good for school on Monday. I'm not going to be at church. She goes, oh, no. I will see you at church. It doesn't have to be the first service, but I will see you at church because this is what we do. We go to church. If you go out, that's fine, but we go to church. Thank God, I had a mother who owned her responsibility and made sure that my brothers and me stayed tethered to the house. Thank God that my mom did what she did. Because it was the house of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. It was the church that saved my life when my parents divorced. It was the church that saved my life when I saw so many of my friends torpedoing their lives in high school and in college. It was the church. And the reason I was there was because I had a godly parent who parented. And she said, no, this is what we do. It was the church where I met my wife, Julie. Poof, drop the mic. Thank you. <laughs> it's the church. And I understand, please, please hear me, I understand the pull in our culture. There's so many things. Travel sports, travel cheer, travel soccer. I didn't put soccer in sports, but you understand what I'm saying. That was unintentional. Don't send me an email. And I listen, I get it, man. There's this 
this FOMO in our, in our culture, fear of missing out. They're not in soccer in McAllen in third grade. They're not going to get a scholarship. <laughs> They're not going to get a scholarship anyway. One percent of varsity high school athletes get a scholarship. One percent. Now, I'm not saying your child can't be, but I'm saying do the math. And by the way, if they're good enough, they'll find them. They'll come find your little Bryce Harper. They will come find your little Mia Hamm. Your little LeBron. But if you're taking them out of church, the church is going to be what sustains them when you're dead and gone. The church is where they're going to grow spiritually. The church is where they're going to build friendships and be around other people who say, yeah, you don't have to drink and have sex in high school. You don't. You absolutely have the choice. You can absolutely go through college and wait until you get married to enjoy the gift of sex. It'll happen with the friends they make at the church. But if they're not in the church... They're not going to make the friends. It's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. So attending matters. Second of all, in faith is committing, committing to Christ, committing to a local church somewhere. Being a part of the body of Christ means you are a member of the body of Christ. You, you have to commit to grow. You have to commit to Christ. You have to commit to a local church. Now, I know a lot of people, man, they like to church shop, hop, and bebop around. I like the music over there, the preaching over here. The guy's got a cool beard at Lake Hills. I, that's what it, I get that. And I'm not talking to chair number one people. I'm talking to chair number two people. Never, ever has a chair number three person not committed to a particular church. You can't be in chair number three and be church shop hopping and bopping. Can't do it. So if you want to do that, that's your bag. But you're not committed anywhere. You're not. There's no accountability in your life. There's no roots. There's no commitment. It's really funny. We've got two kids, as I shared with you a second ago. Emily and Joseph are now, Joseph is a senior in high school. Emily's in college. They're getting ready. We're getting ready to be empty nesters. Somebody help me preach. But you know what's funny about Emily and Joseph? At 18 and 20 years old, they still sometimes like chair number two. They do. Now, a lot of times, you know, they, they try to be very mature, and they'll have conversations with us. Emily's talking about her sociology class and, you know, this, that, and the other, and my call. And it's cool. It's awesome to see your kids grow up. But you know when they like chair number two? All of a sudden, they love the family. They love together time when they have unexpected expenses. <laughs> it's funny how many quality conversations I have with my son and my daughter. Usually when they need something. And that's okay. I get that. That's my job as a dad. Julie's as a mom. We wanted that job. We prayed for that job. But you know what? There's coming a day. There is coming a day. And it may happen like this. Where Emily, I'll take her first because she's older. Where Emily is going to move from chair number two to chair number three. Now I might have to say, Emily, <laughs> welcome to chair number three, honey. They can feed themselves now. They do. When Joseph was a baby... He, he would eat, like, he would just, like, eat whatever, because his hands were always sticky. He, that was his fork. He would just pick up, just off the table. Didn't matter. Dirt, Cheerios. But there's coming a day where not only will they be able to feed themselves. If I get emotional on this, just bear with me. But they're going to sit in chair number three. And they're going to buy their own food. I'm already having conversations with Emily and saying, honey, you got two and a half years. Live it up. 
Because when you walk across that stage, and you will walk across that stage, <laughs> mommy and I will say, Bon voyage, SS Emily is pulling out of port right if you get work. Because that's what maturing people do. I'm not kicking her out of the house because I don't want her around. She got home from college last night. All four of us in the same roof, under the same roof again. It was great. It was great. But for her sake, she has to leave the nest. For her sake, because she's capable, because we believe in her, because she has been equipped and been trained, it's going to be time to go. As a Christ follower, we have to get to this place. I've never heard a maturing Christian say, I'm not being fed. You know, I, I'm just not being fed. I've heard a lot of people say that, but I've never heard a maturing Christian say that. Maturing Christians say, I'm going to feed myself. I take responsibility for my own actions, my own growth and spiritual welfare. But maturing Christians own the responsibility for their own spiritual growth. That's why I asked you to pull out your program. Look in your programs. Where did I put the program? On the Connect card, some of you here today need to move from chair number two to chair number three, and you need to commit to the church. doesn't have to be this one, but if it's not this one, get somewhere. If you want to be this one, we'd love to have you. There's a place there that says, I'd like to speak with someone about baptism and membership. Baptism is the first step of spiritual maturing. The first step. It's not just an just a old ritual it's something jesus did membership being committed to the church lowercase c and local expression read the new testament there was the church in jerusalem the church in rome the church in laodicea the church in ephesus the church in galatia the church in corinth local expressions of the church at large always always also if you want to Get more information about any ministry of our church. That's what this is for. This isn't for us. It's for you. God gave us the church as a gift. It's not an obligation. He gave it the church for his glory and our good. I'm not telling you this so we fill these seats every week. I'm telling you this because God gave it to us as a gift. So we attend, we commit, we serve. We serve in the body. We grow spiritually. We grow through Bible studies, women's books, book clubs, men's Bible studies, life groups. We grow when we come in here on the weekend, but we also grow beyond that. All of a sudden, this Jesus thing starts to permeate every part of our lives. So we attend, we commit, we grow, we serve, and then... We bring it all full circle when we lead other people back to Christ. When we step outside of our comfort zones where we like to sit, where we like to go, where we like to be, and we say, you know what? I want to share with somebody who doesn't yet know how much God loves them, how much God loves them. I'm going to step outside of my comfort zones. That's why we talk so incessantly about inviting people, inviting people. Last week, we kind of showed how this happens and what it looks like, but I, I've heard that not everybody goes to church every single week. That was a joke. That was funny. You can laugh at that, and we don't think that you skipped, but you may know somebody who skipped last week. Let me show you what that looks like. Take a look at this.
at a time. Over 85% of the people who sit in chair number one sit in chair number one because somebody invited them, because a friend cared enough about them to step outside of their comfort zone and say, hey, we've got a chair for you. We've got a place for you. That's why it matters so much, because eternity hangs in the balance in people's lives. Eternity hangs in the balance and heaven and hell are real that's why we put so much emphasis on chair number one here's the great news about the good news you and i are sitting at the greatest opportunity of the entire calendar christmas is a monster opportunity that's why we're asking you to invite as many people as you can to focus on being here at our christmas services either on the 21st or the 23rd And then serving on the 24th so that more people will discover how much God loves them. So that they will begin to understand what it looks like to live life in a relationship with Christ that certainly touches eternity, but also matters right here and right now. That's why, if you're sitting on the end of your rows, underneath your chair is a little brown bag that has a stack of these invitation pieces. These are who we are and what we do. We invite people. So I'm asking you right now to pick up that bag. And everybody in here, we're inviting you, encouraging, cajoling, exhorting. Exhorting is a good Bible word, isn't it? Exhorting you to invite your friends and your family. On the 21st, our special musical guest is Malford Milligan. Malford can blow, dog. He's unbelievable. That's going to be an incredible celebration. And by the way, the rest of our service is going to be every bit as awesome, I promise you. Then on the 23rd of December, 5 and 7 o'clock, our special musical guest will be none other than Joe Ely. That's an easy invite. That's an easy opportunity to go, hey, we'd love for you to come be a part of Christmas at Lake Hills Church. Christmas at LAC. Come on, we'd love to have you. Joe Ely's playing. I've got people calling me from Houston. We don't let people from Houston in, but they they know about it. I'm teasing. We love it. I just where I grew up. It's my roots. My people. And then again, on Christmas Eve at 3, 5, and 7 is Malford Milligan. I'm telling you, this is a great invite. And I also tell you this, you will never be the same. Once you sit in a worship service with somebody that you have prayed for by name, invited, and brought with you to a worship service, you will never be the same. Your faith will never be the same. Worship will never be the same as when you step outside of your comfort zone and lead somebody to the bread of life. When you invite somebody to the table, it changes everything. All of a sudden, everything makes sense. If you never bring somebody, if you never invite somebody to the table, it'll never make sense. And why do they do poinsettias? I know it's poinsettia. Why do they do, I mean, pine cones? Come on. It'll all make sense if you invite somebody to share in the bread of life. That's faith. 
Now remember there are five features of functional faith, and we're going to blow through the rest of these. We'll be out of here by 2 o'clock, I promise you. <laughs> Number two, your, the second feature of a functional faith is your family. Your family. How do you do family? I'm not talking about how your family does you, but how do you do family? Men, would your wife say you're a great husband? If she had the freedom to talk freely, would she say, you know what? He ain't perfect, trust me. But he loves me the way Christ loves the church. He's doing his absolute best, and I'm a blessed woman to have him. That's a function of your faith. How do you do family? How do you honor your mom and dad? Family matters. Third facet of a functional faith is our calling. Our calling. What do we do every day? If you work in the marketplace and that's your vocation, that's your calling, are the people you work with fired up when you show up? Do they go, man, I'm glad that woman, I'm glad that guy is on our team. We're better because they're here. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or, I don't know, stay-at-home dad, and that's your calling. It's tough to remember this is eternal, God-honoring work when you're cleaning up the second pile of puke. But that's your calling right now. If you're a student, school is your calling. may not be eternal, hopefully, but that's your calling. How are you doing with that? Fourth feature of a functional faith is our friends. Who are our friends? Who are the people we invest in, we hang out with? Read through the book of Proverbs. It's a short book, 31 little chapters. Easy read, easy. Watch how many times it talks about, in this book of wisdom, the importance of good company, the importance of being around people who encourage us in our faith. Do the people you're hanging out with support and protect your marriage? Do they encourage you to be a great wife? If you go out and you do girls' night out, is it a girls' night out with girls and women who really and truly support your marriage and your husband? Or does it kind of devolve into generating, I wouldn't put up with that either, girlfriend. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about our kids and peer pressure all the time. Worried about peer pressure. Peer pressure never goes away. It just depends on what peers we're being pressured by. Do they have the same values, the same system of beliefs that we do? I'm not talking about people we invite to sit in chair number one, but I'm talking about our close, close friends. Fourth feature of a functional faith, I'm sorry, fifth, fitness. What I talked about at the very beginning. What do we do with our bodies? How do we take care of that which God has entrusted to us? My father-in-law lives in Laurel, Mississippi. He's got a great line. If I call, you know, talk to him or ask him a question, I'll go, Joe, how are you doing? Son, doing the best I can with what I got to work with. It's a great line, isn't it? Now, look, I'm not in the best shape of my life. I've already been honest about that. But I can do better with what I've got to work with. I was never going to play in the NFL. Wasn't going to happen, no matter how fast I was. <laughs> Quick as a cat. Wasn't big enough. If I'd have lifted all day long and chewed steroids like M&Ms, it was never going to happen. But I can do the best I can with what I've got to work with. Physical fitness is a spiritual issue. The Apostle Paul said our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is where God resides when we commit so, Mac, pushing away from the table is a spiritual decision. What I choose to ingest, what I choose to eat, that's a spiritual issue. You can't get freaked out and narcissistic about it. Yes, I eat clean all the time. <laughs> no. But it's a spiritual issue. Now, go through that list again. Faith, family, our calling, our friends, and our fitness. Which one of those five things doesn't matter? Which one of those five things could you eliminate and still be a full court follower of Jesus? That's rhetorical. None. Now, if you're doing those five things, check this out. What else do you have time for? 
<laughs> do you notice that? If I would do those five things and really do them, I mean do them, it's amazing how many of the challenges, how many of the obstacles, how many of the temptations of my life would vanish. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Because I'd be focused spiritually. What is true in football is true in our lives spiritually. The best defense is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. Aaron Rodgers right now is playing perhaps the best quarterback that has ever been played in the NFL. Ever. I mean, he is a freak of nature, I said in love. But he is unbelievable. The best thing you can do right now is keep the Green Bay Packers offense off the field. Grind and pound it in your running game. Let the offense stay on the field so that the Packers never get on the field. If I will focus on what I'm supposed to do and really do it, even though it's not easy, it's simple. If I will do those things, and I don't have time for a lot of the nonsense and junk that's available to me. Isn't that amazing? Let's go back to our boy Moses. Toward the end of this valedictory address, he says something so encouraging. So encouraging. Keeping in mind that he's been through the fire with Israel, man. He's tried to give up the mantle of leadership a couple of times. He goes, God, you can have them. They're yours. And yet at the end of his life, you see what really matters to him. You see the love of a shepherd, the love of a father for his people. These are, these are his spiritual children, literally. I love this. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. He said, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Isn't this a great line for a father? Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's my prayer for Emily and Joseph. That they would choose life. That's my prayer for you. For our church. That we together would choose life. Given to us by the bread of life. To love him. And to obey him. In all these ways. Acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. Because right now, I believe with everything I have, God is moving in people's lives. And I want to ask everybody, please, if you would not move around or stir or be a distraction to what God's doing in this moment for any reason. It's too important. But for some of you in this place, you have moved from chair number one to chair number two. But today, God is moving in your life and he's saying, it's time to move. It's time to get out of chair number two and go to chair number three. To get deliberate. To get serious about enjoying the life that is truly life and experiencing all of it that there is by maturing in your faith. But I also believe that God hears our prayers. And when we as a church, collectively and individually, pray for people to come sit in chair number one, 
he makes that happen. He orchestrates divine appointments and circumstances so that today there are people sitting in chair number one. And God is inviting you to move. To spiritually get out of chair number one and move to chair number two. If that's you and you're here in this place today, then I want to invite you just right where you are to respond to God. To pray to Him in your own words. To say, just silently, right where you are, just talk to Him and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm leaving chair number one and going to chair number two. Jesus, I give you my life. I confess my sin, all of it, in order to receive and claim your forgiveness, all of it. And from this moment forward, I give you my life. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want to ask you if you would just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. Because it's a sacred moment that we're in right now. But if that was your prayer and you meant it, and you gave your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to mark this moment. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant, I want to ask you to raise your hand and raise it up high over your head and just hold it there for a moment. Because it's the most important moment of your life. It's the moment where everything changed. And it's real. And it's eternal. Yes, forever. But forever starts right here, right now. And so as a church, we want you to know that we want to be your family of faith. We want to be a safe place for you to grow up in your faith, to become a genuinely maturing follower of Jesus. We've prayed for this moment. We've worked for it. We give toward it. And so when God does that, as a church, we celebrate that. And so I invite you right now, just wherever you are, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.